Lingua Britannica is a podcast that uses ethnographic interviews to study language use in the extreme metal community. We are studying a music scene known for its love of themes and topics generally considered offensive, and it is likely that some episodes will touch on topics or opinions some listeners may find tasteless or ethically problematic. Ethnographic researchers aim to adopt the interviewee's point of view so that we can draw out and study the attitudes, beliefs, and practices that are important to them. We want to make it clear that in presenting these conversations here, we do not endorse any of their content. Our aim is to explore the thought processes behind language use in this long-running, international and yet understudied scene. And welcome back to Lingua Britannica with me, Jess Crook, and my co-host, Wes Robertson. Hello. In this episode today, we have Serena Cherry of Svalbard. Welcome, Serena. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. To begin, how would you describe Svalbard's music to someone who hasn't heard it before? Um, Because Wikipedia calls you a post-hardcore group, uh, Genius describes you as a hardcore punk group, uh, and Nuclear Blast describes your music as something which uh, stubbornly refuses to fit neatly into one genre. Um, so, yeah, how do you um, vibe with these labels? Um, I don't vibe with the hardcore label at all. I don't even listen to hardcore music. So Interesting. Really okay. Mm. Uh, we keep getting labelled with that. Um, I'd say I definitely agree that we're difficult to neatly fit into one genre as a band because we all draw from so many different musical influences that it's a real kind of collection of uh, of sounds um i re- i would describe it as kind of post metal black metal um a little bit of like db post rock yes it's really hard there isn't one genre that I would particularly identify the sound with I mean an easy way to describe it is we are a heavy band (laughs) (laughs) for sure uh one thing that kind of we found odd and a little interesting is that um yeah I don't know if you know this but Encyclopedia Metallum the uh the Metal Archives website uh doesn't actually include your band and we were trying to figure out why and we found in their forums a post from 2023 stating that you were blacklisted, to quote, uh, for being, and again, quote, post-hardcore despite some black gaze moments, but they were welcome to add you, quote, once you have a predominantly metal release. Um, like, so you you can, you would obviously not vibe with this description. Right? You do consider what you do to be metal. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I would say I am, um, me, for me personally, all my influence is a metal and I consider us to be a metal band and we play metal festivals and we tour mm. with other metal bands. Uh, I wasn't aware of this. I mean, there's a lot of bands that aren't in Encyclopedia oh, yes. Metallum and a lot of uh, real bottom of the barrel stuff that is. So, um, <laughs> you know, if if they're going to be gatekeepers, <laughs> not... Uh, it doesn't interest me. I don't need to be part mm. of their club. <laughs> and, you, and you definitely would not be. You, you definitely don't agree with their uh, description of you as a post-hardcore. Then, no. I mean, this is what's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Is 
insistence that we're a post-hardcore band coming from everyone else but us. Right. <laughs> like, we're not telling them. I mean, I see where people might get, you know, especially on our pre- earlier releases, maybe the first album, the second album, there's a lot of D-beat. There's some stuff that's quite like, I guess, punky. Um, some bits that some would... I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. People keep saying post-hardcore, and I'm like, I don't even listen to post-hardcore. So where does that come from? I, th- I feel like Liam's vocal, because it's quite like, it's more of a shout than a scream. Mm-hmm. I feel like that definitely has more of a hardcore vibe, and some of the drum patterns used are quite like hardcore-esque. But I mean, if you listen to our latest, um, the, the two first singles from our latest album, eternal spirits and faking it i'd be like show me the bit where it's post hardcore because oh there isn't really any <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah well glad we cleared that up um talking about before you started uh, with this band um how did you feel about lyrics in metal then like did you have any interest in metal lyrics um because of course we've talked to people who kind of very much range in their opinions from people who have you know poured over lyric sheets to people who didn't pay attention to lyrics at all so like yeah where do you fit on this spectrum oh i am a lyric obsessive the lyrics mm, wonderful huge huge part of consuming music and metal music for me especially it was one of the you know the key things that I really identified with was the kind of yeah real emotive and intensity intense quality of a lot of metal lyrics out there so I'm definitely my favorite way to consume an album is to sit there and uh, and have it on the stereo reading the lyric booklet and looking at the artwork at the same mm-hmm. time like yeah that full full experience um but that's how you can you can enjoy a song purely on musical merits. But if you connect with the lyrics as well, then that opens up a whole new dimension to the experience, I think. Was this true um, from the start of your interest in the metal genre? Definitely. I mean, this was true from the start of my interest in music. Mm. Even mm. when I was a kid, I knew every single word to every single Spice Girls song. <laughs> and- <laughs> You know, I would really think about like what those songs were about and pick apart the words. But it, yeah, my sort of um, my connection and interest in lyrics grew stronger as I got into metal for sure. Do you think there's like an attribute or or a, a style that makes it so that you can tell metal lyrics from non-metal lyrics? <laughs> Definitely. What's interesting, I feel like this goes either one or two ways. I feel like metal lyrics can be some of the most like poetic and indirect and kind of very like symbolic and using lots of like um, symbolism to describe something. And you'll kind of read the lyrics and they'll sound like some big dark epic fantasy adventure and then you'll speak to the singer and they'll be like that song's about depression and you're like wow I had no (laughs) idea because it's so sort of shrouded like sometimes I'll find like even just the the lexicon of metal lyrics Mm, mm. it's very like a lot of long words and a lot of kind of yeah um it's it's not often sort of written in a plain and direct way um like you take a band like cradle of filth for example and Mm. danny Filth's lyrics are 
just yeah it's like he swallowed a thesaurus um (laughs) so yeah I think it goes either two ways or then you'll get some lyrics that cut straight to the bone and are so direct it's almost painful like a band like Slipknot um some of you know some of the lyrics especially on uh, the self-titled album and Iowa are so desperate and so kind of like yeah like raw and emotive Mm. and you you there's no kind of obscurification there you know exactly the kind of despair that he's singing about on those songs so I do think like yeah that's the interesting dynamic with metal is it the lyrics are either like super poetic and clouded or they're so blunt and direct like they're blunt and direct in a way no one would ever speak in the way that metal lyrics are written but I think, yeah, if you if you saw a lyric sheet and didn't know the context of the song, you would be able to tell or be able to guess if it was a metal band. Mm. Mm. And given that diversity in uh, ways of approaching metal lyricism, um, do you have a sense, at least on a personal level, of what makes for good metal lyrics versus bad metal lyrics? Um, it's an interesting one because it feels almost like I can only speak from from my my own personal opinion. Like, I think it's really hard to define what makes an aspect of a genre good and what makes an aspect a version of that bad. Um, like for for me, I would say the kind of the stuff recently in metal where you can tell it's been written for TikTok. Like, <laughs> it's been written to trend, and it just seems really sort of. Uh, cynical and really kind of contrived like oh we'll have a little catchy one-liner hook here that's super easy to kind of parody off and and might go viral because it's like something that can be interpreted in loads of different ways for tiktok videos that is an example of bad metal lyric writing which you do Mm. see quite a bit in more modern bands now um it's like it's written with the thought of trending on social media in mind. Uh, I, I think good metal lyrics, uh, I think you'll be able to read them and and like almost feel that connection of with who it is that's writing them. So you can you can read um, the Slipknot lyrics and you can tell, you know, oh, this is a Joey Jordison song. He clearly wrote these lyrics because they'll always have that kind of aggression marred with desperation in them or yeah again to use the same example i feel like i'm just talking about the same two bands but yeah <laughs> they're good examples that's fine you know a, you know a danny filth lyric when you mm, hear one because sure. he has that kind of um it's very like it reads like an english literature essay sometimes yeah, mm, yeah. <laughs> in a really in a really good way and then there's still that undertone of gore and like gothic horror that's weaved in I think he has got that absolutely nailed Mm. and then yeah or someone just trying to trying to think of like other bands where lyrics the lyrics really grab me I think a good lyric will just like hit you in the heart and it'll almost like hurt with how sort of how deep it cuts. I think that's what people are looking for in metal lyric. Well, that's what I look for in a good metal lyric is something that is relatable and dark and not afraid to show the ugly side of humanity. Um, Yeah. 
Hmm. It's really interesting what you've said about like um, lyrics being written for TikTok, especially in a genre like metal that, you know, really kind of embraces a lot of countercultural posturing and, you know, supposed um, rejection of like, you know, consumerism mainstream, because this obviously kind of inverts that um, that trend. Um, because I've heard that discussed in in relation to, you know, um, a lot of pop music being written for, you know, the express purpose of becoming viral on TikTok, um, but less so um mm. For, for for metal so it's um it's interesting we'll have to um we'll have to take um a look at that do you have any sense of um yeah why that's become so popular beyond just you know wanting to attract more followers the music industry is obsessed with tiktok but almost to a detrimental effect but mm. i say that knowing a band like lorna shaw have absolutely blown up in part thanks to having an element of a song go viral on TikTok. Mm, so yeah. you can see the benefit. And if it means they sell more tickets, they sell more merch and they get to bring deathcore, a very sort of, you know, not one of the most mainstream genres of metal, they get to bring that to main stages of big metal festivals. That is a great thing mm-hmm. in and of itself. But there is also the concern that goes, how many people who are kind of, Brought, brought their attention to this band through TikTok, are they going to then stick with it? Is it going to last? Like, is this high going to be able to, to be maintained? Um, mm. It just, it feels like a very, it feels like a, zeitgeist is the wrong word because that's mm. obviously something before then, but it feels like a sort of preoccupation with a fad that you try and write, if you try and write your music and record some music today to trend on TikTok, by the time you've released it, that stuff won't even matter anymore. Like it mm. will be the next big thing on social media. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the thing you say, it's interesting to hear that metal bands might also be writing for the purpose of trending on TikTok. Like, yeah, like that is, there is just this kind of preoccupation with having 10 seconds of something that's going to capture people's attention now, which is kind of depressing to think of music like that, to be, to be reduced to. And what's interesting as well is obviously it needs to be so your lyric, your one bit that you're trying to write to trend on TikTok needs to be so vastly relatable and mostly to the younger generation that uses TikTok Mm. that you have to kind of be almost like, it's like you're trying to hit as many kind of like, this is really hard to word, to be for something you write to be interpreted by so many other people in a different way. If you know what I mean, because obviously mm, yeah. in trending on, on, on TikTok, you're creating something which people are then going to use for their own videos. It's not mm. that it's not your piece of art trending and and that's how it's trending. It is trending because other people are recycling it and changing the meaning and kind of stretching it from beyond its original like interpretation, which is again, just a really weird um, way to, I think if you go into creating lyrics with that in mind, like, Oh, I want to write something that people are going to do a dance to (laughs) or something on TikTok. Like that's a really weird, weird way to think to approach it i have to keep an eye out for that like if i listen to a metal song I'm like i liked about 10 seconds of that then i'll uh yeah i'll figure out why (laughs) 
So uh, when, when personally though, did you uh, start writing your own lyrics? Like um, obviously, you know, way before TikTok, uh, but like how old were you when you first put pen to paper with the intent of it being part of a song? I started writing songs at a really, really young age. I think the, uh, cause I started learning piano when I was four years old and then I started writing little songs and trying to record them on my karaoke machine when I was about six and I've got a bunch of really awful songs. There's an awful VHS video somewhere that my grandparents filmed of me singing some of my terrible pop songs. Um, (laughs) And yeah, I used to just write like um, I used to, (laughs) this is so cheesy. I can't believe I'm saying this on (laughs) where people can hear it. Uh, I was really into the sweet Valley high book series and I used to just look at like the titles of the books and then come up with a whole lyric based on the titles of those books. <laughs> and th- this was obviously when I was like making silly pop songs, but I've always written like just even if it's not for the purpose of a song, even from a young age, I always wrote like poems or stuff in a diary or now it's just like a million sad notes on my phone. Um, I write pretty much every day. And then how it works with Svalbard is I'll I'll go through everything I've written in a certain time period when we were making that music and kind of pick out the themes and then uh, construct the lyrics based on that. I've never sat down and written a set of lyrics from start to finish that would like perfectly fit a song. It doesn't it doesn't work like that. I don't sort of do the melody and the lyrics at the same time. Um, but yeah, and like when I was 12 years old was when I discovered metal. And as soon as I discovered metal, I wanted to emulate it. So I started learning drums and I started writing lyrics and stuff like that. And then eventually moved on to guitar and, and yeah, still carried on with, with the lyric writing and stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and what do you think is the kind of biggest difference in how you approach, um, lyric writing now versus you know when you started okay particularly like you know since you've started writing for um you know metal bands um i i can tell i can pinpoint a really specific difference Mm. um just since i started writing lyrics in svalbard so before i was in svalbard i was in other metal bands and stuff like that but i was very deliberate with how i wrote my lyrics for svalbard and that was because um at the time I was writing a lot for like metal publications. I wrote for a magazine called Terrorizer. And so being on that other side and you interview a lot of bands and you ask them the meaning of the songs and the meaning and going in like to the detail about the lyrics. And there were so many incidences where I would read the lyrics before interviewing a band, speak to them and then be like, wow, I had no idea that that song was actually about abortion rights or something like that because you've you've obscured the meaning so much with like poetry and long words and kind of just really kind of um indirect ways of saying things and it really dawned on me having interviewed so many bands and like realized that their lyrics are actually way more kind of hard-hitting and direct and sociological than you would think just off the bat of reading the lyrics. I thought, I want to make a deliberate change. I want to do the opposite of this. I want it to be the case where anyone who reads my lyrics knows exactly what I'm talking about 
I don't want there to be any kind of meat on the bone. Um, this has to be as kind of plain and simple. I mean, I'm a big fan of being, cons- believe it or not, I'm a big fan of being concise <laughs> <laughs> with your words and, um, yeah, being sort of, I, I think a lot of people describe my lyrics as blunt, mm-hmm. uh, but I take that as a compliment because I really, yeah, I think what aids the resonance with lyrics in metal is them being clearly understandable and clearly like not being afraid to to be on the nose about what you're actually singing about, not sort of dancing around it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Like, it's that like that leads directly into the first question we kind of had about your lyrics in specific. Um, and I apologize because we're going to start with a a bit of a long question. Uh, they won't all be this big. Uh, but we're looking across your releases. We noted what we thought was kind of one rather large change in style between uh, your most recent lease and kind of what you've been doing so far. Because from the start, your lyrics have had a, a strong political bent, uh, bent with some of the clearest statements we've seen in a band we interviewed. I guess like blunt would be a, a term that could be used. Um, and these are often presented in a way that uh, reads like you're writing in full sentences rather than the kind of, you know, um, truncated style that you sometimes see in lyrics where they have a more, I guess, uh, poetic, not in like that poetry has to be one thing, but like in, in a in a way that doesn't reflect kind of how people speak. But uh, for instance, your first EP has song titles like So Much for Meritocracy, which rather directly reflect their content. Um, and your first album has, you know, direct correct critiques of sexism in the mi- uh, music scene. 2018's It's Hard to Have Hope has lines like an unpaid internship is not an opportunity. It's a risk, a risk for those without a bedroom and a family home or sending nudes is not a crime. Distributing them without consent is and privacy protocols are written by men and they often fail to spot the loopholes that permit the exploitation of women, which are sentences that could out of context just be read as lines from like a book or an essay um, as they are, you know, they're grammatically full sentences. They have a, a subject at the start. They have a, you know, a verb in the middle. They go the entire uh, way. You know, you, you could say them in a conversation without um, surprising people or feeling like it's not conversational. But um, since the 2020 album, um, When I Die Will I Get Better, you, in our view, you kind of move towards a bit more quote unquote poetic style that has like truncated sentences or short lines, as in, I will not cower, I want for no shield, I am like an open wound, uh, from the song Open Wound, or on the new album, there are kind of half sentences like got a broken heart, got an anxious mind, got a hopeless voice inside, but I'm fighting from defiance where uh, there's no, you know, uh, like first person pronouns starting things off or striking a match under the mask, burning myself again, hating myself, hurting myself, muting myself again from lights out, which are kind of short verb first forms, um, or completely at the mercy of every form of insincerity from the closing track, which has no stated subject. Uh, If we are interpreting this right, is this move towards like a less kind of statement style, something that has been intentional? Are are you aware of it? And what might have kind of spawned that uh, slight adjustment in approach? You know what? I was not aware of this until you put it out. <laughs> so this is kind of, that's that's been a real like eye-opener for me to hear you say it, like hear the contrast, because I don't sit there with previous lyrics and compare them to my most recent ones. So I had not noticed that change. But now that you've pointed it out, I'm like, I realise um, they are different. And yeah, they are kind of less uh yeah they're not sort of full sentences they are more i guess for want of a better phrase lyrical Mm -hmm. as opposed to conversational 
Um, I think what has led to that change mostly is kind of the lyrics feeling like they they're even more emotional than they used to be. Um, so when you're writing the kind of obviously you'll notice on the new album there's no political songs on the album either. Mm-hmm. When you're right when I was writing political sociological songs, I wanted to be as direct and conversational and like like you say it's it's, it's flattering to read that hear that that reads kind of like a, an essay um because yeah that was that was what I was going for with that to for it to be as if I'm talking to the person and trying to reason with them my point of view mm-hmm. whereas I feel like because I'm talking mostly on this new album about depression that's a really hard thing to rationalize at the best of times so in the end it's kind of lyrically it's become much more of an outpouring uh as opposed to like a structured kind of i am sitting here and i am feeling this like it's really Mm -hmm. interesting to have you point that out because yeah i don't reflect on myself as a lyric writer in that way and reflect on how i might have changed but there is clearly a change there what made you decide to move towards more discussions of kind of the emotional rather than the um the political? I was too depressed to write anything about anything else. Like when your depression gets really bad, it's uh kind of all encompassing and it sort of uh, shrouds you. And um I am also one of those people that can't just sort of force to write force myself to write about something else. Like every Svalbard album is a snapshot of kind of what I'm going through at that time and what's riled me up at that time, what's upset me at that time. And uh, at the time of making The Weight of the Mask, I was just really, really struggling with a lot of dark thoughts and depression um, and just experiencing sort of the real brunt of mental illness. And it would have been impossible for me to write about anything else. I didn't have the energy to write about a political rant or sociological rant because mm-hmm. I f- felt like there was, there's no fire. There was no fire in me. The match was well, like literally like I said, about being burnt out. Like mm. that, that fight had kind of gone and instead it was about fighting to sort of get through the day just for myself. It became uh, that this album's definitely lyrically very inward looking, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm. We've talked to a few people that have mentioned like the potential of of writing metal lyrics and performing letter metal lyrics to be kind of therapeutic. Did you find that at all to be the case? I think it's a tightrope. Mm-hmm. I think when you r- take something that you're experiencing that's really bad um, and you write a metal song about it, there is obviously that transformative power where you're making something productive and something good, a song, you know, uh, out of something bad. And that kind of transformation gives you a sense of hope that, you know, something good has come from all that pain. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, by doing that, in doing that, that song is a constant reminder of that bad experience and that song, you have to play it night after night after night on tour. And every time sing, screaming those lyrics can be like reopening a wound. Mm. It can, yeah, it definitely sort of serves 
as a reminder about it and it becomes quite difficult when you have entire albums about your depression and your bad experiences it comes quite bad not to sort of feel like this music is defining you as a broken person so yeah we we did want to um kind of talk about some of the more politically motivated songs that um you've written if you don't mind um because um you know we've mentioned earlier that you've written several songs that address issues related to sexism and misogyny in songs like pro life uh, what was she wearing feminazi revenge uh, revenge porn clickbait and the currency of beauty all addressing women's objectification abuse and exploitation under patriarchy and in addition to uh, these songs that address kind of broad issues of gender-based violence and discrimination, you've also written several songs that address these issues in the music scene specifically. Uh, so, for example, lines from uh, Expect Equal Respect express my disappointment when you reduce me to my sex, uh, which we read in reference to the way uh, that uh, women or non-men in metal are so often asked to justify and explain their position in the scene. Uh, and lines like, uh, when you see your favourite band and a group of men surround you and in the crush of the crowd, they try and touch between your legs uh, from how do we stop it, kind of very clearly describe experiences um, of women being assaulted at shows. So we wanted to ask, um, what made it, motivated you to address these topics in your lyrics specifically? Uh, personal experience. I'm a, uh, like, I can only ever write about uh what I have been through and I was so outraged by some of the yeah more painful experiences I have had as a woman in metal um that I wanted to kind of harness the angry energy and that kind of empowering like yeah rage of metal to write a song about it's kind of almost ironic using a metal mm-hmm. song to write about a negative experience you've had within the metal scene. It's almost like, yeah, um, infiltrating and telling it off from within. <laughs> um, but yeah, what with uh, Expect Equal Respect, I was so sick of being told I was good for a girl mm. or mm. so sick of, you know, um, people describing Svalbard as female-fronted or describing having a woman in a band as a selling point, mm. uh, which happens, still happens a lot. Um, and this kind of, yeah, this approach that felt super insincere to me, like it just felt very much like, well, do you actually like the music we're creating as a band or do you just care about having a woman, like there's the fact that there's a woman in a band and, and that's a novelty to mm. you, like that mm. suddenly makes it, attention worthy whereas it may not have been before it just makes you question if people are um what what the reasoning is behind um that kind of thing uh and then in terms of how do we stop it that is a song about a personal experience that i had at a festival and uh, we don't play that song live because i cried when i recorded it in the studio because those lyrics are I read them back now and I like I almost wince because of how mm-hmm. how like blunt they are and how clear they are and it's painful I think you don't hear especially in songs you don't hear people talk about experiences like that quite so clearly mm-hmm. um mm. It's not often, not often anyway. So it it feels kind of 
um, stark and almost like shocking. Like hearing again, hearing my own lyrics read back to me is shocking. I'm sitting here like, oh my God, like that's hard to listen to. It's hard to like, you know, because it's so, so like direct. Um, but yeah, that song was written about, about being sexually assaulted at shows and just having that story, but also every single woman I speak to having this, a similar story mm. and, and just feeling like, well, well, yeah, that's why the song is called, how do we make it stop? It was like that sheer kind of exasperation with why should every single woman who goes to a show have had to fight off groping hands just mm. for the privilege of watching their favorite band. It's, it's absolutely horrendous. Mm. Mm. And I, I definitely resonate with everything that you're you're saying, especially about like your um, kind of emotional response to your own lyrics. So, certainly, as um, I read them, um, I also did feel that they were quite um, not shocking in terms of like surprising, but yeah, certainly shocking in in terms of um, more more tone. Because you're right, they are like very directly addressing like a unfortunately very familiar and relatable experience for. Um, a lot of women um, in the scene. Um, and, and you mentioned that, you know, there is some uh, kind of irony in writing lyrics um, like this in a genre like metal, which is, you know, so male dominated um, and is, you know, in some ways kind of the, um, you know, the source of a lot of these um, exact same issues. So we're wondering, you know, how have listeners responded to these lyrics? You know, have you received any, you know, backlash, alternatively praise for lyrics like this? Ah, what's really interesting is lyric the the most those lyrics, especially the lyrics about mis- the, you know experiencing misogyny within the metal scene, have received two very distinct reactions. Mm. They seem to be very divisive. I've had a lot of experience of, of women messaging the Svalbard pages on Instagram to say about how um, those songs got them through, uh, like difficult experiences they had or how a song like how do we stop it made them feel less alone after they experienced a similar like negative situation at a show Mm. Uh, or I've had other women in bands come up to me and tell me that expect equal respect was like everything they wanted to say to Mm. the people within the music industry so there's been a lot of praise from women well, actually, this probably isn't surprising what I'm going to say. There's been a lot of <laughs> praise from women and a lot of hate from men. Um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've seen a lot of kind of comments um, and, and messages like that sort of saying, I shouldn't be singing about these things and that it ruins the music, that type of thing. And, mm. you know... Um, Lots of I've been described as a feminist fuck meat. Uh, so that was fun. Um, by, but yeah, like, I think, well, that's the reason we wrote a song like Feminazi is mm. just addressing the idea that how the word, the, what, even just the word itself, feminism has become like a dirty word and like something to, to sneer at and looked down on and it's just been so hugely misinterpreted and misrepresented. Yeah. Uh, like, have, has there been, um, 
what about like the directness of of what you're doing? Have you received any? Because you know, you mentioned at the start of this interview that metal often takes kind of a poetic approach to to talking about stories, including you know political messages, etc. Where wh- have you received feedback on like the the level of directness that you've engaged with? How, how has that been um, kind of responded to? Yeah, there's definitely that. This is the weird thing. Is like I've I've been really surprised in Svalbard just how much people have paid attention to the lyrics mm. and just how much people have kind of responded to the directness of the lyrics and again received a lot of comments about how my sort of descriptions especially when talking about the realities of mental illness and the kind of things you experience and the kind of stark descript honest just plain honest descriptions in a song have helped people because it's made them feel less alone. It's made made them feel like someone is like sitting there with them in that pain rather than just kind of, like I said before, sort of dancing around the topic or mm-hmm. like yeah, not quite committing to, I don't know. I think there's such a bravery and a power in telling things like they are like saying, you know, I always think those, some of the bleakest lyrics are, on our song listen to someone and the chorus is just days without eating days without sleeping days without speaking which was describing what i was going through at the time uh with a under a really big bad bout of of depression and they're so kind of simple but it acknowledges that reality and i think as a whole thanks to the rise of social media, we've become quite reality intolerant. (laughs) And I think when a lyric then provides the opposite of the shine, the opposite of the filter, like Mm -hmm. the opposite of the the sunny side, that makes it even more hard hitting and even more resonant. Um, But yeah, it's always the biggest compliment to me that I could ever receive is when people tell me that my lyrics made them feel less alone. Hmm. We were wondering, like, um, to what extent, like, your um, recent kind of shift towards clean vocals has has had an effect here, because you know the the whole interview, in fact, came about because um, we saw you talking a- about your lyrics on Twitter um, and how you were doing clean vocals uh, for the first time. Um, so, yeah, out of out of curiosity, did uh, deciding not to scream uh, kind of affect how you approached um, the writing at all, and and did it have an impact on um, you know how people are uh, might be engaging then with the directness of your uh, lyrical style? Um, just to clarify, I do clean singing on every album. This uh, that video was talking about. This is the song where I only do clean singing. Oh, okay, ah, okay. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, that's that's Thanks the first song. Yeah. Um, where there's no screaming at all, which was something we've never done before. Um, yeah, I do. I deliberately like there's, it's funny when you write a set of lyrics, you read them and you go, that's a screamer. That's a singer. Mm. Like you can, you can, you can tell straight away. And I always think for me, it sounds really obvious, but I save cause my clean singing voice is very soft. Uh, you know, I'm not like belting it out like Christina Aguilera. Um, I sort of show save the more soft, almost like romantic or kind of anything that's got like that kind of yearning, any words that kind of, yeah, have that kind of real bittersweet sentiment to Mm -hmm. them. 
those are the ones that are the ones that are sang because it's almost like I want it to feel like I'm kind of I mean this is actually true of my life just this lonely woman wandering around an empty house singing to herself that's what (laughs) especially the track How to Swim Down was about obviously it's an unrequited love song it's about loving someone from afar and them having no idea and I wanted the reason I sang those lyrics so softly and cleanly the way I did on the song is because I wanted it to feel like I was yeah just sort of on my own singing to myself that you know that feeling when Mm -hmm. there's no one else around and no one can hear you and uh that's the kind of lyrics the ones that have the real kind of heartfelt um yeah like almost like a romance and a yearning to them um those are the ones that get sang there's kind of an interesting irony there right to take some the feeling of singing alone in your house and then put it on an album that will be heard by thousands and thousands uh you know of people uh takes it, it, i mean is it is it tricky to take something kind of a personal sentiment that was you know kind of just there and and then just share it or is it something that now after you know four albums and eps and everything you're just kind of used to i'm not used to it at all <laughs> every time we release an album i go oh god did i go did i cut too deep this time have i shown too much like it's uh it's something I never quite get my head around. What's really weird is anyone could buy our album and read our lyrics and know the real darkest depths of what I've been through Mm -hmm. recently. It's like being able to read my diary. And as someone who in real life is quite socially awkward and shy, it's such a weird feeling to have such stark lyrics out there in the world. Like it almost feels like uh, I'm not sure if is dichotomy the right word. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, that's how it feels. Like, um, it's it's a very and like yeah, having stuff that's having lyrics that are so personal, it makes you feel quite vulnerable, um, and it makes you feel quite like people can see your pain. Your broken heart is very much there on your sleeve, but also something I'm really conscious of is you don't want to sort of buy into the cycle of the tortured artist. Like I never want to be kind of holding on to the sadness for the sake of writing more sad songs. Mm. I'm like the opposite. Mm. I want to be pushing it away. I don't buy into this thing that you've got to suffer um, to make great art. It just so happens that I'm making music at the same time as experiencing mental illness. Um, but it doesn't mean, cause some people I think find it almost trap themselves within a dark space just so they can make music from that space, which is not something I, I want to do. We began uh, by kind of talking about differences in your approach over time, but uh, there were a few thorough lines that we kind of see in your style that have gone across your albums we want to talk about. Um, And the first is the use of rhetorical questions. So you have 116 questions spread across your albums and EP to date, including four song titles. Um, And the newest album features 12 questions, as in lines like, so how on earth am I getting through this? When did it get so hard? Or how long have I known this place? Uh, so we just want to ask, like, what kind of draws you to the use of questions within a song format? 
I think it's again, it's the use of questions in a song format is that kind of conversational tone that I'm trying to strike where, and it's almost, yeah, like a rhetorical or, or an unanswered question. Um, I feel like it delivers the point of the kind of the depth of the emotion that I'm trying to convey. Um, God, again, you've just pointed something out to me that I didn't even know. <laughs> I didn't even know I asked that many questions. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's definitely, it's all about like, it's almost like I'm trying to, something I've always believed in as a writer um, is is like write, you write how you talk, you know, that's that's the best way to write. It, it's, it's supposed to be communication. It's not supposed to be um obscurification of meaning um so i guess the questions are, are my way of kind of making the lyrics conversational with the reader or the listener mm -hmm. mm. well you mentioned earlier that it can be like uncomfortable to perform uh, some of these kind of deeply personal songs live we wondered is it strange to perform songs that do have so many of these um you know questions live um you know is it odd then to perform um you know questions like a naked body is not a tradable commodity what gives you the right to think that it's fair from revenge porn that are kind of clearly directed at people committing the crime rather than hopefully you know the kind of people who would attend your shows um is there any kind of difficulty or risk um, of, you know, locking eyes with fans while performing questions that are directed at people who, you know, commit these kind of acts? Oh, definitely. It's um, some of these songs are really hard to perform live. And yeah, there is again, that tightrope of not wanting to seem accusatory when you're performing them on stage and like wanting to connect with the audience and, and maintain eye contact with the audience so that, you know, that you know that they're in this and you're sharing this moment together, but not wanting to look at one person in the crowd and single them out and direct a lyric about, yeah, tra trading nudes on the internet um, uh, directed at them. And it's interesting as well that you say, like, again, isn't it weird that I would write these songs in the hope that no one in the Svalbard audience has ever actually done these things. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like yeah. Mm, yeah. placing a kind of a lot of faith in 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 going, well, our audiences wouldn't do this kind of thing. But then you sort of go, right, well, I've written a song telling people off for for sharing other people's private um content on social media or like trading it around between people between others. Why? Why am I then performing this and screaming this to a crowd of people who I hope haven't done this? Like, surely these are the wrong people to hear these songs. Like, surely it should be the people who would do such a thing. Like, it's weird. It almost feels like when you think about it like that way. It's like, is it misdirected anger? Is like, what is what is the point in writing a song about about a topic like that if? it's not going to be screamed in the faces of people who've actually done it. Mm. Mm. Have you ever like, you know, uh, been on stage and, and been screaming a, you know, kind of accusatory question accidentally, like look, a uh, a fan like directly in the face and, and go, oops, like that, no, not to you, you know, 
that's not a it's directed to somebody else not to my knowledge I don't think I've ever <laughs> sort of I think I try and make it clear when I'm on stage that uh, the band and the audience are kind of all in this together and we mm. we're just we're here for the catharsis of a live show we're not here to kind of like look someone in the eyes and scream like get yeah, almost accusatorily at them mm-hmm. um i've said things on stage that i've watched people walk out the room like we used to open our set and i would say you know whatever city we were in and then i'd say this is what a feminist looks like and uh people would just leave <laughs> well okay yeah they just walk out didn't want to hear it <laughs> <laughs> I suppose that's one way to make sure everybody is on your side. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah, um, we also wanted to um, kind of related question to ask about the um, use of of, uh, uh, pronominal forms, um, because this is a kind of another source of commonality in in your writing. Um, So your your discography uh, contains 151 uses of you uh, and 66 uses of your, uh, and 279 uses of I, uh, 34 uses of I'm, 54 uses of me, and 11 uses of myself. Uh, so our first question is just simply, um, is this I always yourself? Um, are you ever speaking in the role of um, somebody else? Or, yeah, or is this always you? Oh, it's always me. Yeah, I don't know how not to kind of right speaking from myself and my experience it's never sort of I as a as a character or I yeah as kind of um so there's no gap there's no if <laughs> you know Irving Goffman's presentation of self in everyday life yeah yeah <laughs> he talks about that gap between um the presented self and who you are backstage um, there isn't much of a gap, like lyrically, when I'm talking about the I, that is the I within. It's not kind of a performative con- construct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what about you then? Because, like, generally, you know, we've guessed that you indicates a general actor, and we've talked about some lyrics where that's the case, especially on the more politically fronted songs. You're clearly speaking to somebody who is doing the act that you're critiquing. Um, but on your newest album, you have lines like, go fight, I will heal you, or you remind me of a warmth from, from so very long ago, you remind me of a love that I will never know. Are are these yous more intended for, like, a specific person? Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, this is what I mean. There's There's definitely different lyrical themes that run throughout the weight of the mask that aren't present on any other album before. And there is definitely a kind of underlying... Uh, sense of sort of yeah unrequited love romance heartbreak um it's very specific there's a lot more songs about specific people mm-hmm. which is something i've never done before whereas yeah the you was meant as a whole as addressing like a group of people on previous political songs whereas on the way of, of the mask it's definitely about like a person <laughs> Hmm. And is there a specific reason that you tend towards this I'm speaking to you format? Because um, you've mentioned before that, you know, you do um, kind of converge towards a more conversational style with your lyricism. Um, 
And, you know, there are kind of obviously distinct styles within this format um, that you employ, such as the kind of I critique you, I open myself up to you, or I advise you that we've kind of already discussed. Um, But some pairing of I and you appears on almost every track. Um, So what do you think this format kind of allows you to do that perhaps like a story written in the third person wouldn't? Oh, my God, that's such a big question. (laughs) I've never been very good at putting myself in the third person and I've never been very good at kind of telling stories from the outside. Um, So I think it's the reason I'm always choosing the kind of I and you dynamic, which again, something I'd never noticed. (laughs) Uh, But I think the reason I would always be choosing that is because it's where I feel comfortable, like linguistically. Mm-hmm. Like I don't, I'm not, I'm not much of a storyteller lyrically. It's much more like inward looking and self-reflective and kind of looking at how the I relates to the you and and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think it comes down to a sort of, a linguistic confidence thing mm. as opposed to a sort of deliberate choice. It's just, it is my comfort zone writing in that style. Mm. Well, speaking of like, um, you know, linguistic choices and, and uh, comfort zones, you're one of the few artists that we've ever spoken to uh, that has ever referenced any kind of love in their lyrics uh, as in lines like, but I'm pack all I'm packing are my doubts and a broken heart. I can't take out from disparity or, the pieces will never come back together and your heart will never truly mend from throw your heart away. Uh, and the newest record has lines like uh, the aforementioned, you remind me of a warmth from so long ago. You remind me of a love that I'll never know. Or, and when I leave, we never part because here will always be my heart. Um, and these obviously like, you know, aren't the kind of romance centered lyrics stylistically you'd hear in like pop or ballads. Um, but they aren't just about like the loss, loneliness, or anger themes, which often appear in, you know, metal songs about love. I guess like coming to mind, uh, you know, Strapping Young Lad's song, uh, love is, is, you know, much more about anger. Um, is it tricky working lines about love in the metal? Have you found that difficult at all? And is in like, is there any pressure to approach love in a certain way, which binds how the topic can be approached within this genre? Definitely. I feel like there is a huge expectation. I mean, almost like an avoidance to include love um, as an emotion in metal lyrics full stop. It's almost seen like the antithesis of metal, isn't it? Because by stereotype, metal is supposed to be so hard and like steely and kind of, you know, about aggression and dominance and that kind of thing. Um and love is almost regarded as something that's a bit too soft and lovey-dovey um, for the world of metal, which is why I don't think you see it very often. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely like a fear. There's always a fear when you include the romantic lyrics in a metal song because, and I would, I would always describe them as romance because it's always about the yearning. <laughs> and <laughs> it's uh it's always one-sided um (laughs) but like uh it feels like adding in an unusual ingredient when you add in 
romantic love lyrics into a metal song because it's so unexpected and it's so kind of posing to what would the sound of metal like metal is is so kind of heavy and aggressive and kind of dirty and messy and it's like the opposite of of everything you would associate with love. I guess it kind of all feeds into those binaries, doesn't it? Like metal is very much like in a binary opposition with pop music where mm. it defines mm. itself by being the opposite of what pop music is. And if pop music is a lot of songs about love and romance and stuff like that, then metal is going to be the opposite of that. And it's going to be songs about rage and anger. So I think by taking from the other side, like uh, some of the more romantic lyrics could be pop lyrics and stuff. Uh, I think it's doing something unexpected, which makes me super nervous, to be honest. Um, <laughs> it's always, it's always really daunting to not do, to not fit the mold, mm. like lyrically and musically. Mm. So you, you I mean, mentioned longing, right? Like um, as something that, that you've been able to do, do you think you could ever write, within your own band, you know, and with someone who has a bit of a history now of writing songs about love, like just a song that's just like, you know, I'm in love. This is great. Everything's fine. <laughs> like, you know, uh, is that possible well, in our genre? Uh, Pearlescent, the song on our third album, the final song uh, is about that. Um, okay. Yeah. That is a song about finding love. Uh, I we can't play that song anymore, uh, <laughs> and uh, I can't sing it live anymore. So um, it that's I tell you what, writing a song about finding love is the fucking stupidest thing. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> it is the stupidest thing you can ever do because you know that love ain't gonna last, right? So uh, <laughs> you've just dug yourself a grave lyrically. There, you're just yeah asking for trouble. I mean, maybe that's why metal bands don't sing about love. They're, they're wise and protecting themselves. <laughs> that would be amazing and funny if that were the case. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm brave enough to like hail Satan, but not brave enough to, yeah, uh, to exactly. write a love song. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, on a related note, um, you've also talked in interviews about the current album being uh, Fighting Your Demons with Everything You've Got uh, and called the album a painful but ultimately cathartic process. From the outside, of course, metal often appears as a place where depression, gore, violence and misery are kind of celebrated in the pursuit of brutality. Um, do you feel like you're challenging some of these themes in aiming more for catharsis um, or has metal and, and metal lyrics, in your view, always had you know this potential regardless of you know the general tendencies we might see uh, in lines like, you know, grip my teeth when they've uh, just been broken, soldier on the face of fear, um, or say, you know, more gore-filled discussions of uh, zombie and murder that are often discussed? It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I definitely mm. feel um, like our, our lyrics are more kind of realistic. They're more grounded in the reality of experience. Like metal has always, metal lyrics have always been hugely preoccupied with the fantasy realm. Mm. So if they're going to sing about gore, it's going to be in a outlandish, cartoonish, like gore horror context. If they're going to sing 
about um, epic journeys. It's going to be in a kind of a Lord of the Rings style dragons and mountains and that kind of thing. You know, pretty much I reckon 90% of all metal lyrics are actually just about Lord of the Rings. Huh. Um, <laughs> but they're like, yeah, there's definitely sort of a a desire to to stay in the a fantasy realm uh, with a metal and sort of even just harking back to obviously I was mentioning about romance and love. You've you some Cradle of Filth songs are really romantic, but uh, like they've got that song, a gothic romance, mm. but they are kind of steeped in like storytelling and rich world building and descriptive language. Um, so it's not quite, it, it feels like there's not, there's fewer bands that are emotionally vulnerable in metal. Uh, that's at least something I've noticed. Uh, but then when they do have that kind of power, it really cuts through. I think it's it's about harnessing the energy of the sound of metal and making it kind of it's not just anger for the sake of anger or horror and, and darkness for the sake of portraying something that's kind of horror-esque. It's about harnessing metal to truly release something that is eating away at you inside. And it's just such a different thing. But I think the real dividing line is, is basing your lyrics in kind of reality and real experience compared to kind of fantasy depictions. Hmm. So um, one thing we kind of noticed that absent from your lyrics that is not in all metal, of course, but definitely pops up in the genre is uh, there's like a tendency, Cradle of Filth definitely does it for, you know, big, obscure kind of archaic words. And in your lyrics, you mainly go for much more kind of straightforward, um, just like one or two syllable kind of terms. Is this all related to that same kind of tendency and end goal? Yes. Do you know what? So a few years ago, I was studying for a PhD and my uh, supervisor told me off because she said, your words, your your writing is too readable. And <laughs> it's too, no it's way. Too, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, no. It's too conversational. And like that has always been the thing I've tried to do in every aspect of my life, whether it was when I was writing as a metal journalist, writing as a games journalist, uh, writing lyrics in Svalbard, any, like studying any aspect is I want, if I'm going to say something, I want as many people as possible to be able to understand it. That is the whole point for me. If you can say something and you can say it clearly and you can say it concisely and you can say it, yeah, in a way that anyone will be able to understand, then that is like the power of language. That is the most important thing rather than, yeah, sort of <laughs> restricting understanding to a limited mm. few by using like elaborate code as opposed to direct language. Um, my God, I've really gone off point there. No, uh, that's all a point. That's no, no, all that's point. yeah. yeah. And yeah. Also, I don't think you've ever met two people more <laughs> more committed to this idea <laughs> in yeah. academia, at least. <laughs> I mean, I won't say that we've never used the large word, um, but no, but like, we've certainly had many conversations yeah. about academic papers written in language yeah. that's um, so obscure and um, inaccessible that it, you know, <laughs> beggars belief. So. Beggars belief, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm hoping that that supervisor wasn't in linguistics because I, I do feel our field like at least tries a little bit to re be readable. But, you know, that said, I certainly have uh, have struggled through a few papers. Mm. 
Um, it was it was sociology, not linguistics. Oh, okay. So uh, one one other thing we noticed in your lyrics uh, uh, is that you know your your albums today have contained a fair amount of curse words, um, but the pattern is like distinct across albums. So your first EP has one use of fucking, and then your first album has two. Uh, same with the word shit. Uh, the second album, it's hard to have hope, is then completely clean. You don't swear at all. Um, but then on 2020's release, when I die, will I get better? You have two fuckings and four fuck offs on the song Clickbait, and two shits and two fuckings on the song The Currency of Beauty. But then your newest album is once again completely clean. So across the four albums, you have a swearing clean, swearing clean rotation that you're kind of going through. Uh, is there a reason for this pattern? Like, did you approach the current album from a, a different space than the last? You did mention that they're both kind of more on the the emotional side. Wow, I did not know that there was no swear words on our new album. I thought there were. Ah. Wow, that's that's interesting to note. And it's interesting to note that I've been on and off again. <laughs> I've got an on-off relationship with swearing in Svalbard lyrics. Um, I think, again, I think one thing I would say is the swearing and the political songs tend to go hand in hand. Ah. Like there's definitely usually more swearing when I'm telling misogynists to fuck off in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where it tends to come from. Whereas I'm less likely to tell myself to fuck off, I think. <laughs> and yeah, all the lyrics uh, on the new album are so inward looking, but I'm surprised there hasn't been like a fucking just out of desperation, you know, mm. Um, mm. Or, a, or, a, or a really sort of well-timed shit. <laughs> but like, yeah, they, sorry to the listener, that could sound really weird. <laughs> no, this is, this is we, we, we've had swearing on this podcast before. It's absolutely, yeah, it's a, uh... Absolutely fine. Yeah. But again. It, oh, sorry. Carry on. No, no. You go. You go. Please. I was just going to say it was not something I noticed, and it's not a pattern that I've been trying to stick to. But now that you've brought it up, I'm obviously going to have to put some effing and jeff <laughs> oh, yeah. in the next one. <laughs> next album's going to have to be filthy, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just going to like kind of follow on from there like it is interesting that like your choice of swear words specifically like fuck um and and shit i would say like fuck is probably the most common swear word that we see like in metal lyrics um and i'm always interested in in people's opinion on uh why they think that fuck is uh you know the kind of swear word of choice for lyricism oh it's an interesting one it's good to say isn't it it's a good swear (laughs) word like like some swear words aren't aren't as fun it's satisfying for sure yeah And fuck is like, it's kind of like the class B of swear words, isn't it? It's not, it's not the C word, but it's Mm. one up from like damn or, or Mm. I don't know. Is that even still a swear word? I don't know. It's a, fuck is like a good, it's a good middle ground in terms of where it sits on the the sweary scale, (laughs) I think. And also Mm. I think. It can be used in so many different ways. Like fuck off is obviously quite empowering. It's like it's it's quite a I oh, here's an, another thing. I definitely think that metal has in in general, lyrically, a bit of a persecution complex. And a lot of the lyrics are about kind of being telling the outside world to fuck off and mm-hmm. saying, you know, you don't you don't understand me. And I think that's probably where a lot of the uh, use of the word fuck comes from as well as kind of creating that othering of mm. this is my world and this is my crew and fuck off to everyone else mm-hmm. interesting yeah that makes that makes sense yeah 
Well, I mean, you, you like as you mentioned, literally have you know "fuck off" as a chorus to one of your songs. Is that is that always <laughs> um is that pretty fun or cathartic to do live? Absolutely. So we had an amazing moment. The last pl- festival we played, Arc Tangent, uh, last week in the UK. Uh, everyone in the crowd was shouting the fuck off bit along with me so much so that after we finished the show and I've never done this kind of thing before I asked the crowd the entire crowd to chant just one big fuck off all together on the count of three like while we weren't playing the song and they did it and I felt like I was like James Hetfield or something it was crazy <laughs> I felt like a god <laughs> It's interesting, right? Like having um having a band screaming fuck off at an audience and an audience screaming fuck off at a band and it being like a, a unifying experience. Yeah, it's also solidarity. <laughs> yeah. Rather than an example yeah. of a show gone terribly wrong. Yeah, exactly. It's a good thing if they're shouting fuck off at us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm. I wonder, do you think that like fuck has greater emotional impact than say alternative swear words like, you know, shit or, you you know, you mentioned the C word, you know, um, regardless of, you know, where it kind of sits on the um, kind of offense um, spectrum? Like, is it, I don't know, just more emotive, do you think? I think so. And I think it's got several different ways it can be emotional. Like, I think the use of like, oh, God, I feel fucking helpless or something mm. that really has that desperation to it and then yeah like the whereas something like fuck off has that kind of empowerment and that aggression to it i think or even if it's used in like a kind of more sexualized content in a song like uh then it has a whole different meaning as well so i think fuck is it probably the most versatile swear word <laughs> mm. yeah yeah huh okay Oh, um, another kind of thing that appears sometimes in your lyrics is the use of rhyme. Uh, it doesn't appear all the time, but it can be found like throughout your discography. Um, the new album is included here is in lines like, uh, try to tell me I can't do this, but I'm trying, I'm fighting, I'm rising, I'm defying, um, or slumped against the barriers in my brain, never feeling love, but never feeling pain. Uh, overall, kind of what do you feel is the purpose of rhyme in, in what you do? I feel like when I find I would never sacrifice the meaning of a lyric for the sake of creating a rhyme i'll only ever use it where it works and then using the rhyme is to kind of i think it's really easy to remember lyrics that rhyme and really easy to kind of they have that kind of poetic impact um so i'll usually if a rhyme works with the meaning of what it is i'm trying to say then i will definitely use that in the song it kind of almost the rhyme will take priority because i feel like it's gonna have more impact as a as a lyric to read and Mm. be more memorable for the listener um like there's it's always kind of it's always a bit of a feat when you can make something meaningful rhyme isn't it like um but yeah as i said sort of it's not it is not sort of the i don't Rhyming is like a non-priority for me when writing lyrics. If it, if I happen to come up with a rhyme when describing something, great. But it's not the sort of thing that I'm chasing in creating. So that's why there's not that much of it. Hmm. Can you ever go too far with it? Like, do you think there's such a thing as like too much rhyme? Um, yeah, there, I mean, there are entire songs or passages have written with no rhyme at all. So, um, yeah, do you do you think it feels odd if rhyme appears too often? 
I think it would if it if it appeared too often in a Svalbard song, because mm-hmm. like I said before, we definitely I'm definitely aiming for that conversational tone lyrically. Right. And imagine if everyone spoke in rhyme all the time to each other, like <laughs> that, that would just be super weird. So I feel like when used sparingly, that's when rhyme is most effective. Whereas when it becomes sort of almost like obligated and um just sort of to requirement and it's like people are just rhyming lyricists are just rhyming because they sort of that's what they do and that's how they write lyrics then kind of takes the edge off of it i think sure i think it's really good to have peaks and troughs in your writing that and sentences and words and constructs that hit in different ways so if you really want to draw attention to a line or a particular um, phrase, then having a rhyme in there is a really good way to do that, especially if it's peppered throughout the song as opposed to dominant. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, one other thing that's kind of peppered a little bit throughout your lyrics, and this question is is quite odd, so so do forgive us, but there are like slight markers of British English throughout your work. And we wanted to ask like if they're intentional or if they're just, you know, because that's where you're from and that's what you're doing. Like, uh, for instance, you use the O-U-R spelling on words like armor and favor and the I-S-E spelling on words like recognize. Um, and there's lines like, for every thousand pound puppy, there's a thousand helpless dogs in need with pound referring to uh, currency rather than weight. Um, is again, like, is this just like, yeah, that's where I'm from. So there it is. Or is there like an intentionality to uh, make sure that your variety of English is actively represented? Like when you send the lyrics off, you know, to get published, do you say like, do not adjust the uh the spelling standards in the word document kind of thing do you know what's really interesting is i'd never paid that much attention to whether i used british english or american english until recently where i now work somewhere where we have an american team and a british team and i am thinking and i'm writing i'm writing for them and i'm always sort of deliberating now between which spelling of favorite to use <laughs> um, <laughs> So, so I wonder if that's going to then creep into the lyrics for the next album, because I've never sort of been conscious about using British English and British phrases. I've always just kind of written what feels natural to me. Uh, It's all very, you know, it makes it sound so self-indulgent, but like, yeah, uh, I've never kind of considered what sort of style of English I'm writing in it's just how it comes and I've never you know if if the record label turned around to me and said okay we're going to change the spellings to be American English that's absolutely fine I'm not precious about it I'm not you know out here trying to represent tea and crumpets British <laughs> metal like, <laughs> I'm not precious about those spellings <laughs> mm, interesting um well um, if we can kind of attempt to tie all of this um, very interesting discussion together, what would you say is ultimately the role of lyrics in your work uh, and in the extreme metal genre at large? Um, for me personally, the role of lyrics within Svalbard is the lyrics are the thing that cut the deepest and the lyrics are my way of like reaching out to people even if it's reaching out to the listener 
and sort of wanting to kind of be there with them and sit with them in their darkest times. And sort of like I, I mentioned earlier, my main goal with writing lyrics is to make other people feel less alone and to strike that power of resonance with others. Because for me, that is the most helpful thing. If I'm really struggling with depression, but I find a song by another band that describes what I'm going through so perfectly, so succinctly, then I feel it's like a weight is lifted off your shoulders because the song is sharing that weight now, not just you. Um, so that is like the, the mm. main goal with my lyrics is, is to kind of connect and it's, and yeah, like it's interesting because we get a lot of comments about how sometimes my guitar leads are really pretty. And a lot of the music is quite hopeful sounding uh, for a heavy band. And then the lyrics, I always joke, it's like the music is the light at the end of the tunnel and the lyrics are the tunnel at the end of the light. <laughs> in um, And then in terms of like the purpose of wider, like metal lyrics in general, I think there's a liberating quality to metal mm. lyrics. So if you're looking at, like like I mentioned before, the cartoonish, outlandish gore of death metal lyrics, that for many people is a form of release in the same way that watching video nasties from the 80s is, in that it's kind of got this outlandish brutality that's so cartoonish, it's beyond the realm of reality and that provides like an escape and an, and an outlet oh you've had a frustrating day but you're going to listen to some cannibal corpse and those lyrics are so kind of like oddly brutal yet fantastical that i think it it takes people away from it provides an escape basically mm. um and i think a lot of metal lyrics are are either empowering people you know a lot of it is about being mad at your boss being mad at situations in life and having a release through that in metal in metal songs like how many times have you had a bad argument and then stuck on a metal song and felt better about it mm. because mm. it's provided you a safe space like you've got someone in your ear who is screaming for you um so yeah i think metal lyrics are definitely like a form of escape and an outlet for like um sort of more negative emotions it's interesting isn't it because there's there's always been the perception right that the metal is from the outside um the idea that these things are are like antisocial or um you know celebrating bad i guess to put it simply but there is you know the 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 fan experience is often quite different right the, the way that listeners respond um and you know i'm sure there is the odd the, well not yeah the odd person who's just like yeah gore gore is good great uh but the the ability to to find like um a healthy release within discussions of of what is unhealthy is is kind of a an interesting like element of of the whole thing um like they said like the the being angry and then listening to metal and ending up less angry that you know on paper that seems quite odd but it's i think it's certainly something that every metal fan has has um gone through definitely i think yeah metal provides a really healthy form of release 
but to the outside, to people who don't listen to metal, who don't get it, to them, I think it does sound like noise and devil music. And, and you know, why, why, how could you possibly listen to that? Isn't it perpetuating the anger and the rage? And and in fact, it's the opposite. It's it's uplifting and it's kind of getting you through the difficult times. So I think the perception and the enjoyment of metal music from within is so different compared to like the perception of people who aren't into it. It's yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. This is this has been a, a fa- fascinating uh, discussion. We really appreciate it. And and I hope that it yeah, leads really to insightful. at least one person less calling you a hardcore band. That'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> if we can take one thing away from this yeah. interview, it is. It's, it's absolutely not it's a post-hardcore band. band. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Like, yeah, I really appreciate the sort of the depth. And I mean, I've I've learned a lot of things about myself as a lyricist in this chat. So Thank you for opening my eyes. <laughs> well, we always say we take so much of everyone's time. We hope they get something out of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, okay, great response for us. So um, what's next for what's next for the band? Like where can people check out what you're up to? Um, you know, when when is the new album coming out? And is there like any tours or anything like that afterwards? Uh the our new album, our fourth album, will be released on Nuclear Blast Records on the 6th of October. Uh, can't wait for that to be out. And then following this, we've got some shows, uh, a tour around Europe and mainland Europe and the UK. That's also in October. And then we'll have plenty of exciting more shows and tours to be announced very soon in the future. Mm. Awesome. Uh, so where would you say is the best place for everyone to kind of keep up with uh, the latest Svalbard news? Uh, I mean, People can check us out on social media, um, on Facebook. Remember that it's uh, <laughs> at Svalbard UK because Svalbard was already taken. Uh, Svalbard on Instagram. I can't remember if we're Svalbard or Svalbard Band on Twitter. Sorry, X. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the usual, the usual places. And I'm uh, Serena Cherry Cat on Instagram as well, and I post a lot of band updates on there. Awesome. And more behind the scenes stuff. Well, great. Yeah. Thank you again so much for your time. I know like you must be exhausted. It's, it's, uh, we're barely waking up and, you know, it's your like past midnight now. So, uh, yeah. Thanks so much. I hope you get some good sleep and, and yeah, we'll look forward to hearing the new album. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I really appreciate your time. So thank you very much. Right back at you. Thank you for listening to Lingua Italica. We hope you enjoyed it and we hope you stay tuned for our next episode. Before we leave, we just wanted to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to their elders past and present. Mm-hmm.